Sports Radio 1043 The Fan. Every Saturday morning, it's Terry Wickstrom Outdoors. Terry takes you inside the outdoors. You know, hunting, fishing, camping. It's Terry Wickstrom Outdoors. Now, celebrating 20 years of bringing the outdoors to Colorado Radio, here's Terry Wickstrom. You see, that last segment, I was supposed to tell you somebody recorded that or somebody filled in that first segment, then have you answer and then tell you who it was. But I got carried away reading my copy and I decided to just spill the beans. So I'll find out who our winner was. I made it pretty easy for you. I will not make it that easy in the future, except, well, first of all, Terry Wickstrom Outdoors is brought to you in part by Honey Smoke Fish Company Smoked Salmon. The secret is in the fire. And we always try to make it easy for Nate Zielinski. Good morning, Nate. Good morning, Terry. How are you today? I'm doing good, except I just blew my own trivia question. I gave the answer while I was given the question. Not good. No. So somebody got got a $99 package of Honey Smoked Salmon just by listening. That's pretty fantastic. It really is. Although, you know, we were talking about how we used to record the show. And then I never really liked that if I was gone on assignment and how then we started developing uh, fill-in hosts. And you actually were one of the main fill-in hosts for many, many years. You're, you're so busy now, we have trouble getting you in the studio, but, uh, <laughs> but uh, you've become so important. But, but no, you have done it many times, and we just think, we, we try to keep it timely. You call, everybody calls in live, and when we can do yep. the show live, the information is right now, and that's what we really want. Absolutely, Terry. I agree. Yeah, the cutting edge thing. There's so much changes in the outdoor industry, especially the fishing and hunting, and you know the breeding season, the fish and animals, and everything. Uh, there's just no doubt that, uh, that yeah, you got to stay cutting edge. Stay alive. How you do it for sure. All right, Nate. Now you cut in a little bit there, so hopefully we won't lose your signal. But I am. I have not moved an inch. Yeah, well, you know, you, you and Karen are going to fight about this. I'm just going to work with you. Yeah. <laughs> I thought this was going to be the best show I've ever had. We're going we're gonna to pitch in and buy you a new phone. But <laughs> exactly. That's what I need. <laughs> uh, what is going on fishing? There's a lot. Yeah, absolutely, Terry. That's what we want to talk about. You know, I, every week I text you the topic of the, of the week, and uh, this week it's all about the current condition because there's everything changing, and there's so much good right now. Uh, it's absolutely crazy, and I think that's just the the opportunity at what you uh, what you're looking for as an outdoorsman. And we have everything. We uh, we're in full blown starting to scout on our winter turkey. Uh, the winter turkey flocks are now starting to break up. So literally within the next you know next month, next three weeks, uh, all these turkeys are going to be breaking up individually. So we're excited about the spring turkey season approaching, and then the fishing is just tremendous. So we're going to talk about that, and we're seeing different conditions everywhere. And obviously, you know, we are in that spawning mode for walleye. So whether you're looking at pre-spawn, post-spawn fish, things like that, there's a lot happening. Um, some lakes, I would say, are very much on track, and some lakes are very much ahead of schedule. We, uh, I've been out almost every night on Chatfield. I've been hearing a lot of talk about that. I know the, the you know, Parks and Wildlife do their netting program or operations out there, and they've been struggling a little bit at Chatfield. Uh, just finding the right fish. Uh, and to be totally honest with you, I think that it's a situation of just being a skosh late uh, as far as setting nets. We're seeing a ton, and I mean a ton, of post-spawn fish at Chatfield. I would say if you took away the calendar, Terry, you know, which I, I love for people to do, everybody gets so set in their ways by last year on this date, this is what we did. And the fish and the animals don't have the same calendar as us. They go by conditions and water temperature and just a whole gamut of things. But they definitely do not go by the calendar. Um, it's one of those things that if you took away the calendar and you just said, hey, go out to you know, go out to Chatfield, look at the fish, tell me where they're at. I would say that right now our fish are in the same 
situations and cycles as they normally would be uh, mid-April of a normal year. So we're seeing, you know, it's hard to say a number, but I'd say we're 60 70% post-spawn fish, maybe more. Uh, you know, it might be 70% post-spawn fish. Uh, but the fish are gorging, and they're, they're spread out. They're in normal spots, and we have jigging bites during the day. We have nighttime trolling bites. Uh, but the fish are definitely, as far as location on a calendar, not necessarily where they normally would be mid-March, um, you know, or that, that later March. I'd say they're more in their April pattern. So if, uh, if an angler's been struggling, um, think about what you did normally in April. That's where you're going to find your fish right now. I love it. Because, uh, again, for me personally, post-spawn fish are the fish of choice. The fish that, you know, is already done with the spawning cycle, so we're not interrupting that. And this fish is hungry and looking for a meal, uh, which makes it that much easier on me, the angler, to find and catch these fish. So, so we're loving that. And Cherry Creek is probably right on cycle. It's probably right now producing the most of all the walleye spawn uh, between the three lakes there. Um, it's just kicking butt with the spawning cycle. And, uh, we, you know, we're very, very traditional right there. We're probably... 30 to 35 percent post-spawn fish maybe 40 percent the rest are in that spawn phase right now um so we have pre-spawn fish spawning fish and post-spawning fish at cherry creek so that's kind of the the walleye report but definitely there's daytime and nighttime bites going strong for walleyes right now all up and down the front range well you know and you made a great point is everybody hears about the walleye spawn and they think they're fishing spawning fish and not that you can't catch the spawning fish but really of the three they're the toughest to catch the pre-spawn Absolutely. the pre-spawn gorge but it's a shorter period and a lot of times you don't have access those post-spawn fish are going to continue to feed as they move and once they feel the nutrition they're going to move more into their summer feeding patterns so they're never really going to quit eating it's just that the, nope. the big the big females will start changing their habits and when they eat absolutely terry that's 100 percent. and you know the nicest thing is you know we're looking at the at the 10-day forecast right now we have storms coming in sunday night monday you know the the mountains are going to get quite a bit of snow with this kind of a heavier wet spring storm uh we're going to have barometric pressure change it's a pretty major storm system coming at us and a pre-spawn walleye and a spawning walleye are going to get affected by the storm. It's just what, it's the nature of the beast. When the water's cold, you know, storm fronts like that mess it up. The nice thing is you can put focus on those warmer bodies of water like, like Chatfield. Um, and that body of water with more post-spawn fish, the post-spawn fish aren't nearly as affected by those pressure storms as a pre- or a spawning fish is. So we love that. So I put a lot of emphasis into that, you know, especially as I'm going to fish throughout this whole storm. Um, you know, I'm putting a lot of emphasis on those post-spawn fish because, again, they're, they're affected by less. They're, they're hungry. You know, they lose 30% of their body mass during a spawn. Um, so they are looking for a meal. They're looking to eat. So, again, as a walleye or toxic, you said, everybody goes for the spawning fish, but without a doubt, they're the hardest to catch. And if you can find post-spawn fish, even if it's a small percentage, um, those are the fish to target. Again, they're easy to catch. They're, they're vulnerable, and, and they're a lot of fun, a lot of energy, for sure. You know, another tip I used to give people this time of the year when these fronts would come through like we're going to get this week, it, it can still, even the post-spawn, it can mess up some degree. You have to work a little harder. The fish aren't going to be as aggressive. But the, st- the trout that are in these front-range lakes don't mind that cold water at all. And if you just want to get out and catch fish and the walleyes are tough, don't be afraid to chase trout in these front-range lakes right oh, now. There, there's, it's full of really nice trout, too. Definitely. The trout are going really strong. Focus anywhere where the shatter are going to be tight. You know, there are coves, anywhere where there's a lot of light. All those type of areas are doing great for trout. Other bites around, two things I really important, or three things I should say real quick, is, 
Number one, the bass bite. The bass bite at Pueblo. The bass bite at a lot of the ponds around Denver. The bass bite on Quincy. Uh, the bass are going strong. They're relating to deep water structure, uh, so you're slow fishing plastic, slow fishing crankbait. Uh, but that bite is going strong. So uh, we got just enough water temperature to get those bass active. So the largemouth and the smallmouth bite, especially the largemouth bite, uh, is very strong. So I'd say you know keep a focus on that. I would slow down your presentations, look for that deeper water, hopefully try to use some electronics or a map or just read the shore, you know, cover water to find those deeper water pockets, um, and you're going to have some great fishing. <clears throat> the, the other thing that we talked about, Terry, and I love talking to you about this because not as many people in the state of Colorado get excited about this, but uh, right now we are in a, a very heavy pre-spawn. It's really an early pre-spawn bite for crappie. Uh, but all of our bait fit, or all of our crappie and our bait fish are having that interaction. So right now, all your crappie are getting super active, but they gathered up. They're hunting in those big pods that they're going to spawn in uh, coming up a little later. So if you can go out to, to any of our reservoirs that have panfish, have those crappies, you're looking for anything structure-related. So this could be as big as a bunch of sunken trees, sunken brush that's going to hold these fish, and you have small stuff as much as, you know, the chain hanging off of a buoy. I mean, we literally see these fish just looking for something to, to relate to as they get these big paws. Um, and it's, it's awesome to see. So uh, I had multiple days this week where I, where I did some crappie fishing and some pan fishing uh, on, you know, submerged trees, things like that. And that bite is, is fantastic. So I encourage people, if you, have, you know, if you have that urge to do some pan fish, do some crappie, right now, they really, in the last week or so, they really gathered up in those bigger groups. Uh, so you can cruise around and find them. You can see them on the graph. It looks like a... And it looks like the size of a truck down there swimming around in these big pods. You get near that structure, uh, and you'll see these crappies stacked up on that brush. And it's, that's a great bite to have. You know, whether you're casting for them, slip bobbers, live bait, you know, they'll, they'll hit a lot of things. It's more just an opportunity to find the fish. Once you find the fish, generally speaking, they're not hard to catch. And the last bite, <clears throat> this is probably the thing I'm most excited about, is the, the fly fishing for trout. And the big thing here is I want to talk about the opportunity to every angler. So I do a lot of fly fishing, but by no means do I consider myself an expert fly angler. The biggest struggle point for me is keeping up with the hatches. You know, you try to match the hatch, but, you know, the, the experts are saying one step ahead of that hatch. They don't really know the flies. And that can be overwhelming to a lot of new anglers. I fished the South Platte this week, and this time of year when you're dealing with spawning fish, you can roll to the two most basic flies known to a fly angler. You can run a San Juan worm or some sort of worm pattern, and you can run an egg pattern. I run those flies about 10, 12 inches apart, and literally you have a power combination that every fish in the river feeds on. The rainbows, the cutthroats, the browns, everything eats that pattern this time of year, and it allows you to power fish. So instead of pulling up to a pool that I normally would sit on and try 10 different flies to get the fish to go, I roll up, I drop that, that egg-worm combination in there, and I catch fish. And I, if I don't catch fish, I just keep power hopping, pool to pool, and any of the any. Um, and you just keep moving, and you can run and gun because you know you have that combination that you can have confidence in, uh, and it catches a lot of fish. So I had, a, I had an absolute ball this week with a fly rod uh, with those combinations. So, again, if you're a new angler, this is that one time a year where you can eliminate some of the, the fly you know, concepts of, of being concerned about the right hatch and 
spending a lot of money on fly. You can go with a simple, you know, egg worm combination uh, and have some great success. So from beginning fly fishermen, uh, you know, the next two weeks there is a great time to get out there and take advantage of that opportunity. Yeah, and another thing to throw, in addition to the combination you're talking about, is don't be afraid to throw a streamer. They're looking for a meal, and they're also aggressive and they're irritated. And you throw up a, a clouser minnow or a, a woolly bugger or something, too, at times. Uh, you don't have to throw 22 size midges. You can get out yep. there and get them. I want to go back to what you said about the crappies, too. Make a couple comments. I remember once at Cherry Creek where you could, one one day, where you could catch virtually a crappie on every cast right by a water ski buoy. You talked about them relating yep. to something. I mean, it was that simple. Um, another thing uh, we were talking about earlier in the show today, Nate, and that's the fact that as we all start putting our ice fishing gear away and we're, we're you know, getting more and more into the open water, don't put your ice fishing jigs away. They are so fantastic for panfish. Oh, absolutely, Darren. Like you said, I mean, right now, I'm going to cruise around these reservoirs, whether it's Cherry Creek or Chatfield or, you know, Pueblo, but Cherry Creek's been the hot one for me. Um, you know, cruise around. I'm using the side imaging on my Lorance units, and I'm finding these little twigs, little trees, little pockets of vegetation or just some sort of structure. Uh, and I just, you know, pinpoint it on the graph, drop a pin on it, slide over there, and exactly, I'm slip-bopping with small ice fishing jigs. Um, and it is absolutely a ball. I mean, we're, we're catching a ton of fish doing that. So just find, I mean, again, everybody overlooks structure. When a lake has minimal structure that that individual fish is looking for, it doesn't take a lot to, to pull those fish. I had this conversation with a couple of gentlemen about Jackson Reservoir. Everybody knows Jackson is kind of blooming as a walleye fishery. It's really been fishing well. And everybody's like, man, it's just a bowl. How do you approach it? And the fish do the same thing, you know, whether it's, you know, you're at Chatfield and you're fishing a contour change that goes from 10 feet to 30 foot. And you have that massive 20 foot change at Jackson Reservoir. It might go from four foot to five and a half foot. And you have a foot and a half change. And everybody overlooks that because they're looking for the drastic. When in reality, if the fish don't have a lot, they make do with what they have. And those small, it might be a six inch change can hold those fish. Same thing as the crappies. You know, uh, literally a, a, a chain or a cable coming off of a, a buoy can hold those fish. I mean, it doesn't take a lot. So I think the, the average thing to talk to the average angler is, is make note of everything and don't overlook the details. The details catch you more fish at the end of the day uh, than a lot of the major concepts out there. So pay attention to the small uh, and make the most of it. You'll catch a lot of fish. Nate, we're out of time. If people want to book a guide trip or more information, tell them all the ways they find you. Absolutely. You, know, you can go to our website, tightlineoutdoors.com. We did release all of our uh, event dates, so we are now open for registration for the Walleye Insanity event as well as the Bass Obsession events coming up here in April. Uh, and you, know, you can always check everything out at Facebook. We also do all of our live content where you interact with us on Facebook. So again, Tightline Outdoors on Facebook. And the website tightlineoutdoors.com. And again, we are booking guide trips as well. So if you want to go on a guide trip, get a hold of us now. We'll get you on the calendar. All right, my friend. We will talk to you again very we'll soon. soon. All right. Thank Nate Zielinski. Terry Oaks from Outdoors is brought to you in part by Honey Smoked Fish Company. Smoked Salmon. The secret is in the fire. Largest ATV and motorcycle dealer, and we are going right to the phones. And joining us from Colorado Parks and Wildlife is um, is Jim Hawkins, who is the I believe Jim, if I get this right, boating safety and education coordinator. Yes, sir, that is correct. And thanks for joining us today. And you know, you and I have had a couple discussions over the last couple weeks, and 
you know, the boat ramps are all pretty much open. There's a few yet, of course, in the mountains and high country to open yet. But we're seeing the fishermen flock out there for some of these early bites. We're, we're seeing some of the pleasure boaters get out there and run their boats and make sure everything's good on them. And we're going to see more and more activity. And as the population in Colorado has grown, um, so has the demands on our water. And I think learning how to boat safely and how to interact with other people that are recreating on the water is so important. And I wanted to get you on because we want everybody, no matter what their activity is, to have fun, do it safely. Everybody's out there to have a good time. We just want to make sure we do it safely and we respect each other. So I thought we'd start out a little bit. And if you get, what are some of the key safety issues you'd like to remind people about? So the key safety issues that I'd like to remind people a lot about, you know, especially we're just getting on, uh, maybe it's our first time launching at the boat ramp, maybe at the garage getting our boat ready to go fishing. Um, just make sure you follow the safety uh, requirements that we have, and those start with just making sure that you have a plan on how many people are actually going to be on your vessel. So making sure that you check the capacity limit on your vessel, checking to make sure that you have valid registration. You know, it's March. Um, so make sure you get your vessel registered. Uh, the, probably the biggest and most important uh, safety aspect would probably be your personal flotation devices, uh, making sure that they're U.S. Coast Guard appro- uh, approved, uh, they're in serviceable condition, enough on board for everyone, and they're ready and accessible, and they are the correct size for everyone. Um, if you have a boat that's larger than uh, 16 feet, um, you should have a tight four throwable, which is your square cushion or your gym buoy. Uh, fire extinguisher, sound-producing device, and if you have an inboard or I.O., uh, making sure that you check your flame arrestor and make sure it's there. Your ventilation blowers are working and uh, your lights. And, you know, just make sure that you have some of the recommended safety equipment as well. You know, a first aid kit, anchor in line, a flashlight, paddle and oar, or a bailing device. And, uh, you know, even if you have a horn in your boat, having a whistle is probably a good idea. Now, you know, all those are necessary, and, of course, those are posted on Parks and Wildlife website. You've got brochures out all over. People should follow those. And they're so basic, but people forget and don't do some things. I think there's also some misunderstanding about who needs them and who doesn't. Um, people in kayaks, and, of course, the paddle boards are coming, becoming so much more uh, common lately. Um, they are a vessel also, and people need a flotation device. Is that right? That is correct. Uh, the U.S. Coast Guard has deemed uh, paddle boards as a vessel. Uh, so they do have to have a sound-producing device and life jacket on their board. All right. And I think, you know, and, and you know, a lot of the paddleboarders just jump on or they rent one. Now, hopefully, if they get it from a rental place, they'll they'll get that. But if they buy one and go out on their own, we want to make sure they do that. What do you see, or maybe before we move on to some of the etiquette and interaction, what are some of the most common mistakes you see people make, especially early in the spring here, that, you know, can put them in jeopardy? Uh, the biggest issue is just making sure that they... Uh, you know, I see a lot of mistakes of boats uh, actually in the middle of a reservoir or launching from a ramp, and they just haven't started their boat uh, for the season yet. So my recommendation would be, you know, bring your boat down to the water. Don't unhook your boat. Make sure your engine starts uh, before you uh, untrailer your vessel. And the biggest thing is just make sure that uh, you are aware of the weather. You know, in the state of Colorado, it can change within 10 minutes. So make sure that you have a departure checklist as well. Use common sense. Uh, If you're taking somebody with you, make sure you have a co-captain. Have a a float plan. Um, And, you know, just have a great time, but but be safe about it. Now, we've we've always harped on 
being so aware of this cold water this time of the year, make sure your life jacket is on because if you fall in, of course, that hypothermia and shock can set in so quickly. And obviously, you should never drink and operate a boat. And it's illegal to operate a boat under the influence of alcohol. And I may get some more remarks from those on you. But one thing you brought up to me that I think really deserves mention is you and I were talking earlier, and that's people, they'll tie up a boat or they'll have a boat in the water and it breaks free from an anchor or tie up and they try to swim after it. And boy, that can be a mistake. Yeah. And, you know, unfortunately in the last couple of years in public safety, uh, I've had to work some fatalities uh, where the boat did uh, come untied from the dock. And uh, if the person could have waited, you know, 10, 15 minutes, the boat would have floated to shore and they could have walked to that. So just use common sense. Um, you know, we can always uh, call a park ranger uh, to come retrieve your vessel. Just don't swim after your vessel if it comes untied from the dock. Well, you don't, you know, you think you're gaining on it and the wind blows it out and you're out in the middle of the lake with nothing and you run out of energy or it's cold and there's just nothing for you to do. You you know, you're, you're optimistic you're going to be able to catch up to the boat and it really can put you in a bad situation. Well, we've got some time left, Jim. I'd like to address some of the etiquette and interaction issues too. I've been getting some requests from people to talk about, you know, reacting with not only other boaters, but people on shore and with uh, and just how you interact with other people. And I think we don't see a lot of training from boaters as far as all the regulations and just the common courtesies of being on the water, which are different than driving your car. Uh, One of them is if I'm in a speedboat or if I'm in a fishing boat and there's another boat approaching me, how do I know who has the right of way? So that's a great question. And in a lot of my uh, boat safety classes, I try to, you know, incorporate it with vehicles. Um, So if you can remember this, uh, the port side of your boat is the left side of your boat. So it could be, you can remember it as port, red line. Um, So, but if you have a red light or you see a red light on your boat, that should mean stop. Um, If you see a green light and the green light is on the starboard of your vessel or on the right side, uh, that means that you have the right of way and go. But we should all be courteous, and if you see that there's a potential for a collision, you should automatically always slow down and bring your boat to a stop. And even if you are in the right of way, um, doesn't mean that you should continue just to try to avoid a vessel accident. And what about coming close to other vessels? If you're whether you're on a uh a motorboat or a paddleboard or a canoe or a fishing boat or a ski boat, what type of distance are you supposed to maintain between yourself and other vehicles? So uh, you should uh, have 150 feet between any other vessel or somebody that's fishing uh, from shore or fishing. So, and that includes paddleboards too, doesn't it? That is correct, yeah. So if I'm in a paddleboard and I just start out, I can't go down the shoreline and Next, if there's somebody fishing there, I have to go and give them that 150 feet. Yes, that's correct. Now, on an anchored boat, um, you also have to give them. What about a fishing boat? And when you say between a fishing boat or another boat, 150 feet, is that whether they're anchored or moving or both? Uh, It's both. Um, You know, obviously, a vessel that's anchored can't move. uh, So they have the right of way in that instance. So you need to give them 150 feet. And I and I want to really make people aware of that because that's some of the biggest issues I see um, where I see a fisherman, he gets out, you know, fishermen like to go where the fish are. And sometimes there's a hump in the middle of the lake. Well, he tries to hold his boat right out in the middle where there's 
five or six water ski boats that are circling the lake, hopefully in the right direction and following the buoys, gets himself in an awful wake situation and exposed. Um, that's something that I see that fishermen need to be conscious. I know I like to be where the fish are too, but it's just not fun to be fighting that wake. Find yourself, probably can find some fish in a more comfortable spot to fish or a different time. And then, like I mentioned, the paddle boarders, they come by the shore sometimes too close. But another thing too, I see paddle boarders get out in the middle of the lake and they can't maneuver very well, and they can get in an awkward situation with a motorboat very quickly. Right. And and so these are situations that a lot of them aren't rules. They're just common sense and, and thinking through what, what you're out there doing. Now, when you guys are out there in, uh, doing patrols and enforcing, what rules do you look to enforce when you're out there? And, you know, what what, what are some of the main violations you see? So, you know, our kind of mission statement is, you know, we want everyone to have a safe and enjoyable uh, experience in our state parks and on our waterways. Uh, the biggest thing that we're looking for, uh, it's near and dear to my heart, is just making sure that uh, all children under the age of 13 are wearing life jackets at all times, uh, unless the boat is anchored. Um, and then also, you know, we're looking for people that are under the influence of alcohol, um, you know, boating under the influence uh, is not tolerated in the state of Colorado, so we want to make sure that we enforce that. Uh, life jackets are uh, super important to us. Uh, they're like seatbelts in a vehicle, um, so they should be uh, ready and accessible and enough on board for everyone. So those are uh, the biggest violations that we're out looking for and just making sure that your vessel is registered in the state as well. Yeah, and I think there's one law that a lot of people in Colorado don't know, and that's that Colorado lakes have a speed limit. Yeah, that's correct. Uh, the speed limit is 40 miles an hour uh, on any state or waterway in the state of Colorado. And, you know, and, and people think that doesn't sound very fast because they hear about bass boats that go 70 miles an hour. My boat will go probably 50, 60 miles an hour. But 40 miles an hour on any lake in Colorado is more than fast enough to get you where you want to go in a hurry because <laughs> our lakes aren't that big. And certainly fast enough, more, more than you want to pull a tuber or a skier or anybody like that. Yep, that's correct. So any last comments about this uh, that you'd like to get out there to people? Uh, my last comment is, you know, we're all uh, boating community out there. Uh, we all want to enjoy uh, the same water that we're all on, either if you're fishing, paddle boarding, or canoeing. Um, so just be out there, look out for each other, make sure that we're all saving, uh, making sure that we have the safety equipment that's required, and just have a, good, a great time. All right. Yeah, beware of other people. Be courteous. Give them their distance and interact. You might make some new friends while you're out there. There you go. Hey, Jim, thank you so much for joining us. Have a great day, sir. You bet. That's uh, Jim Hawkins from Colorado Parks and Wildlife. And, you know, I've, I've taken part in almost every activity we mentioned, and my family still does. And we just want to make sure everybody has a good time. Terry Wickstrom Outdoors is brought to you in part by Sun Power Sports, Colorado's largest ATV and motorcycle dealer. Terry Wickstrom Outdoors is brought to you in part by Honey Smoke Fish Company Smoked Salmon. The secret is in the fire. Let's go right to the phones. And joining us from Colorado Clays is J.R. Pierce. Good morning, J.R. Morning, Terry. Um, pretty nice day out there today. It's actually beautiful. The, the wind kind of let up. We got a little overcast, which just makes the targets all show up so uniform. It's a great day for shooting. Well, here's my take on it. Um, bird season is over waterfall season is over i'm fishing so i can put my shotgun away and i don't have to take it out till two days before dove season right 
Uh, unquote, Terry. <laughs> yeah. No, I mean, and that's, unfortunately, we see too many people. And we talk about this with rifles and pistols, too, that um, I, my mantra has always been don't get ready to hunt or to be able to be familiar with your weapon, even if it's self-defense, but stay ready. And that takes practice. Shooting is a perishable skill. And you should be coming on some kind of a regular basis. And this is the perfect time of the year to come out to Colorado Clays and maybe work on that shot that always gives you trouble. Yeah, very good point, Terry. And, uh, you know, I think you bring up a real common issue that often gets overlooked until it is too late, and that is how important the off-season practice can be to success on hunt day. But first, I think it's important to let everyone know. um, So Colorado Clays is open year-round other than, of course, Tuesdays, because Doug and I got a fish as well. Um, But we're open to the public. We require no membership, and we're available to anyone, you know, from the very beginning shooter all the way to experts in any shooting discipline. So really anyone can come to Colorado Clays and feel welcome and be comfortable trying to achieve whatever their, you know, shooting sports goals may be. But... Back to your point, Terry, and you're right. I think a lot of folks end up in that position where the hunting seasons wind down, the weather's changing, the lake's open, and we go into kind of our fishing and summer mode and then kind of forget our hunting until it's suddenly upon us again. And what I hear a lot of the time is that people have missed a lot of shots and opportunities because they don't get their shooting skills back up to par until maybe mid-season. And like you said, that's where Colorado Clays can really make a difference in not only your skills, but your confidence going into the field. And, you know, at Colorado Clays, we have such a wide range of opportunities, presentations, and locations on our facility that offer you know, realistic practice and really good preparation for just about any species you may hunt. So, like you said, whether it's big game, uh, maybe you need to prepare for that and keep your rifle dialed in. Uh, something that happens a lot, try some different loads in that gun. You might find out that there's actually a more accurate load than what you're shooting. So that off-season can be real good for that. Or... I don't know, perhaps maybe you got a, a, a beginning hunter, you know, want to take him out dove hunting or something. Well, come out to our practice trap to work on those fundamentals and get them feeling good and confident about their ability to handle the gun, not only safely, but, you know, proficiently. And, you know, the upland bird hunters. Now, these guys love our wobble traps. That wobble trap can simulate countless different bird flushes and um, really for just about any of the upland species. And then, of course, Terry, our incredibly popular sporting clays course that offers the very, very best in shotgun shooting target variety. So um, it's a good uh, preparation for just about any other type of hunting uh, with a shotgun. And so, you know, basically... Colorado Clays has everything covered. But I'll tell you what's really great to see, Terry, is that most of these people who finally do decide to come out just to do some preparation for the season, they end up realizing that 
Colorado Clays is so much more than just practice. And we end up seeing these folks back out here, bringing their friends and their family and all enjoying Colorado Clays all year long. So works out great. Well, there's such a camaraderie out there. There's no way I can project that on the radio. You guys are such... Um you're such great people, the way you treat people, and we could spend all day talking about the, the facilities and the good people out there. One thing I want to mention that you brought up, too, and it's not only being successful when you hunt. If you don't practice with your firearm, you start thinking about things, and that's when accidents can happen. You brought that up. You mentioned safely. When you are familiar with the manual of arms of your firearm because you've shoot it on a regular basis you know where the safeties are you're used to checking where your where your load is at your what the, the status of your your firearm is you and you when you bring it up you're thinking about your target and what's behind it not how am i going to hit this bird and forgetting to be aware of the safety of the shot it really plays a big issue in safety being comfortable with your firearm it really does, Terry, and I'll tell you, I see this all the time, and um, I just can't say enough about the quality, the experience, and the credentials of our staff. Um, we're here to help, and um, we're, we are willing to help people get themselves past the point of having to think about uh, you know, things that may compromise safety. And I'll tell you, repetition um, takes care of that. Uh, you know, repeating that motion of bringing your gun up, shooting, and automatically breaking it open and having it in a safe position um, becomes, it just becomes automatic when you practice in that way. So there's, like you said, Terry, there's so much more um, to the, to the, than just practicing. Um, it, it makes everything happen. It makes everything comfortable. makes everyone safe. And it, it really can enhance your experience because there's so many things you don't have to think about if you've practiced them. Well, and a couple other things, too. First of all, shooting clays is fun. I mean, it's a great recreation. It's just fun. I mean, but it's so expensive to shoot like wobble trap. What do you charge? Yeah, um, $7 for a round of 25 Yeah, that's ridiculous. Yeah. It should be twice that price. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, it's but, but that's, it's, I mean, it's just, it's, it's inexpensive. The other thing, when people, I don't think people realize they come to your sporting clays. I mean, we talk about the skeet and the trap and how reasonable they are, but sporting clays isn't expensive either. And when you buy sporting clays, you don't have to shoot the whole course. You can, if there's one or two shots that seem to plague you, you can sometimes find a a um, a station on that course that replicates that shot, and you can spend most of your time on that station, right? Absolutely, Terry. Uh, and like I said, we do have just an, a beautiful 15-station course. It's set down in this winding Cottonwood Creek bottom. So we have not only different backgrounds, different uh, presentations, different angles. So, yes, anybody can go down there and find those shots that give them trouble whether it's in the field or whether it's just trying to uh, show their buddies how good they are and work on just those shots. We promote that, and you'd be amazed at how many people do that uh, just, just to you know, help their skills and uh, boost their confidence. Yeah, I'm going to tell you one, another one of my sporting clay stories that I haven't told you before. I was at a, a celebrity uh, event up in, I believe, up in uh, the Dakotas it was. It was in the Dakotas. And as an outdoor writer, 
it was at a fishing tournament, and while the guys were out actually fishing, they had events set up for our the outdoor riders, just different things. One of them was sporting clays, and I hadn't shot a shotgun forever, so they, they lent me a gun. I was a little hesitant. I went out there, and uh, I was doing pretty poorly. And we were the last group out, and we had, I think, three or four stations left, and it was almost getting dark. And I ran those last four stations. I, I broke every clay. And we got back in. One of the guys turned to me. He says, he said, if you give those Minnesota guys a flashlight, they never miss. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> now, obviously, I don't want to condone any kind of illegal hunting or anything. But I've had my fun with sporting clays. It's not my forte, but I've had some fun with it. It's just enjoyable. It really is a lot of fun to do. I mean, people who haven't come out and shot shotguns, and you can rent them guns when they're out there, Jr. Yeah, Terry, and I'll tell you what, the Sporting Clays is really our most popular, and uh, anybody can do it. Uh, we do have gun rentals, and of course our staff always will uh, you know, teach and get people going on what to do, how to do it. And I'm talking everywhere from just the individual coming out to work on his shot to groups of families and friends coming out. Um, you know, lots of regulars do that. We also, uh, it's our most popular for our events as well, you know, ranging from whether it's bachelor parties and such to little corporate events up to, uh, and we've talked about it, uh, we've got the most incredible system for giant fundraisers and corporate shoots as well. So, um, yeah, it is, it is something fun. If you've never done it, you need to try it. And uh, there's no better place than here at Colorado Clays. We're out of time, Jr. How do they find you? ColoradoClays.com or give us a call. All right. Thank you, my friend. Thanks, Terry. You know, I mentioned earlier before Jr. came on about Honey Smoke Fish Company smoked salmon and how they're they're doing a 20 year promotion. You know, it's my 20 years on radio, and they are really going all out to have this trivia contest. So you want to follow us on Facebook to find out the answers because I won't give them out anymore after this. But no matter what, try Honey Smoked Fish Company. Go to King Supers, go to Walmart, go to Safeway, go to Cub, I'm Cubs, uh, Costco, uh, Sam's. Just buy a package and try it. Trust me on this. If, even if you don't like smoked fish, you're going to love Honey Smoked Fish Company Smoked Salmon. Honey Terry Wickstrom Outdoors is brought to you in part by Honey Smoked Fish Company Smoked Salmon. The secret is in the fire. From Outdoors is brought to you in part by Sun Power Sports, Colorado's largest ATV and motorcycle dealer. It's time now for Terry's Tackle Tip of the Week. All right, it is time for our Tackle Tip of the Week, and we've actually talked about these products throughout the course of the two hours today. And that's the um, the small baits from Berkeley. You know, we talk a lot about their gulp. Uh, there's like the gulp maggots, the gulp waxies, the... Um, the little gulp minnows, we talk a lot about those, but they have another whole line of baits. Of course, they're power baits. And, of course, a lot of people here are familiar with the power bait paste. They use that for trout. It's also scent impregnated. It doesn't have as much scent as the gulp, but it has, it has enough flavor to get fish to hang on to it. But what it does have, the power bait, is it doesn't dry out on your hook. And it's got a little more action than the gulp. It's more flexible. It moves around a little better. And they make some micro or mini baits out of the power bait product, too. Things like the power bait ice sword tail, the power bait ice action waxy, and the power bait ice wishbone. Now, these are all labeled as ice fishing jigs, but boy, you want to keep them in your tackle box 
during this time of the year for panfish, especially in the ponds and things around town and around the area. Um, you may have noticed there was a posting on Facebook from my partner, Greg Claus, who caught a number of crappies through the ice using the... Um, the power bait ice wishbone tremendous bait has two little tails on it that wiggle you put it on a small jig and it's a very action oriented jig it's a very visual presentation for attracting fish has some scent has great flavor so once they bite they hang on to it but it stays flexible a lot of times when i'm fishing ponds around town or even if i'm out in the boat i'll have a, 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 an ultralight rod or a lighter rod rigged for panfish. If I'm in the boat, it might be just a small jig right on tied to the end with no other weight and no bobber or anything. If I'm from shore, I'll almost always have a bobber with it so that I can cast it further. Could be a clip-on bobber. It could be a slip bobber. Now, sometimes I'll use the gulp products. I really like those a lot. But a lot of times walking the shore of these small ponds, I will have a couple different rods rigged, so they're not going to be getting in the water, and a gulp bait, as much as I love them, could dry out. So I'll put power bait on, and this this wishbone lure has such great action for crappies and bluegills, and even trout will just eat it up. So when you're going around the, uh, the banks of these small ponds, what a great bait, fish below a bobber. Um, I love the little micro mini baits. They come in bags. They're not expensive. They're like like three three ninety nine, maybe four bucks a bag. And by the way, I happen to know that uh, Discount Tackle down on Santa Fe stocks these, and I'm sure many other tackle stores do. But you know, take a couple bags of those wishbone baits and keep them in your tackle box, and they're not going to dry out. And you can use them anytime. You can even have a rod rigged with them at all times. So now you have an option, whether you're on shore or in your boat, of being able to cast. Maybe you're really looking for bass that day, but you're just not, they're just not going. You can't find them. And you see some bluegills. Or you happen to know there's some crappies in a pond. And you're, maybe you're targeting those panfish. And maybe you've tried other presentations. A small bobber or just an ice fishing jig, a small jig. With these um, wishbones on them, they're good. the little tails are really going to give you great action. Now, they also make one called a sword tail, and that sword tail just has one tail. It's just a straight tail. It's very small, but it really can give you some good action. Those are ones you might want to put in your tackle box. Have them when you're in a panfish situation. Don't have live bait. Great, great products, and you'll get a lot of panfish. In fact, quite often, they'll outfish live bait. That's our tackle talk for today. I want to do a little housekeeping here. I want to remind everybody, uh, we mentioned Sun Power Sports. Sun is running an ice uh, contest uh, now through September. Uh, You can find it on their Facebook page. You can find information on my Facebook page, Terry Wickstrom Outdoors. And you can also find it by going to my page on the fan, by going to 1043thefan.com and going to the menu and going to Terry Wickstrom, where you can enter to win an ice fishing trip next December with Nate Zielinski and I. The trip will be for two people. There'll be one winner, but it'll be for two people. And you can register there. We're going to go now through September. You can register, and then we're going to have a drawing to see who gets to go ice fishing with Nate and myself and a couple of the guys from Sun. So make sure you sign up and do that. Remember, we're running our trivia, 20 Years of Trivia. Next week, I won't give the answer out on the air, so you're going to have to find it on our Facebook page. or We probably won't do one next week, but I'm not going to say for sure. We're going to do a bunch of them during the course of the year, which Honey Smoke Salmon is sponsoring. And uh, we're going to give away uh, $99 packages of Honey Smoked Salmon's uh, Honey Smoked Fish Company smoked salmon to people who get the 20 years of trivia celebrating our 20 years on the radio. So make sure you sign up for that. 
Get your fishing license. Remember, your fishing license, if you have an annual, is going to run out uh, the last day in March. So April 1st, you need a new fishing license. You can do it online right now. Take your old fishing license, log in, put the numbers in, comes right up. You can buy it, do whatever you want. You don't have to leave your house. They'll mail it to you. If you do it now, you'll get a printout you can use, but you'll also probably get the license before April 1st. Also, next week, starting next week through the end of July, Terry Wickstrom Outdoors moves from 9 to 11 to 10 to noon, okay? 10 to noon starting next week. The golf show's coming back. We're going to move down so they can have a full two hours, and we'll have four hours of great local programming between golf and the outdoor program. So make sure you be aware of that. Mark your calendar. If for some reason you miss it, remember we podcast everything. Follow us on Facebook, Terry Wickstrom Outdoors. Keep up with everything. Go to our YouTube channel, The Best of Fishing with Terry Wickstrom. We post new shows all the time. And don't forget to follow my columns in the Denver Post, which we also post on Facebook. If you're listening to The Fan 104.3, we'll take the, let the Eagles take us to the top of the hour and more sports on The Fan. Then she lit up a candle and she showed 